the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hope you're having a great day today. We look forward to this Easter weekend and we are really excited about being in church. I hope you are. Last year it was a difficult time because of, of COVID and so we pray that you will be there. And so Alex and Bert, we're planning on it. Alex, uh, you on the road or are you at the church where you've been preaching? I'm home in Greensboro, North Carolina, and by the way, we are going to have a sunrise service at 7 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning, uh, Good Shepherd Church that I've been helping out a couple of, two to three Sundays a month for about a year, and uh, we're kind of wrapping that up at the end of the month of April, but we're looking forward to a sunrise service, and then Sunday morning preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. For those that would be interested in Northeast Mississippi, I'll be at Smithville Baptist Church, 1030, and uh, I'll be preaching there. Smithville Baptist Church, that's where that tornado went through and tore the church up. The pastor there, Wes White, was a good friend, and mm. uh, man, they survived it, but they have rebuilt, and they have a good ministry there. Looking forward to being there. I hope you've got a place that you're attending and going to proclaim Jesus is Lord so uh, happy Easter to everyone as we get ready for that this weekend. Speaking of that, Alex, and you came up with this, and I was excited about it. We're going to be looking at the final week of Jesus' life and building up to Friday. And then tomorrow on Exploring the Word, you'll hear about the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection. So, But today we want to kind of put it in order about what took place on the week before. So we'll be getting into that. But before we do that, Alex, I have a song that I wanted us to, uh, everybody will be pleased. I want it played. I'm not singing it. You know, that will, those well, people that know me, they're, they're saying, praise the Lord. Uh, no, but I can enjoy I've it. heard you sing. No, you no, sing. no, it's horrible. I know it. Uh, I've, I've heard myself. But we've well, also, you know, yeah, go the, ahead. The, the psalm says, make a joyful noise. I do that now. <laughs> and, and for some of us, noise is the operative word. It but, is. But it is praise to God, isn't it? It is. I can praise the Lord with the best of them, but it doesn't sound as, as good as others do. But we also receive letters, Alex, and those letters are such a blessing to us. And, and we're taking this first segment. We're going to share some of those comments in the letters and that song and then we'll get uh, through and we'll start on this, the final week of Jesus' life. But we do enjoy those letters and those emails, don't we? Well, we do. We do. And we appreciate everybody listening. And um, sometimes people write just very moving letters to tell us what it means. Here's um, Peter and Della. Uh, we listen. Uh, we love when you discuss the Bible and the issues. You're, we pray for your ministry every day. We hope you continue bringing people to Christ. And this, uh, it says, it is Della's dream and goal to be able to lead others to Christ, as you and Bert do. Here's a letter from uh, Margaret in Georgia. Uh, Dear Reverend Alex, uh, says, uh, we listen to Exploring the Word. We love the program. We appreciate that. And here's what she says. Now listen to this. She said, uh, say hello to Bert. He is a great minister of the gospel too. We learn so much and we are 
thanking God for exploring the word, your sister in Christ, Margaret. But here's, here's one, and, you know, I'm abbreviating, but each and every one of these sentiments, I mean, we give God the glory, and we know the fact that the word of God is touching the lives of people, that's what we want. Here's one from Stephen, and Stephen, if you're listening, I'm, I'm not going to give your complete address, but Stephen is an inmate in Texas, and uh, he says, I'm blessed, I really enjoy listening to you and Bert on AFR. Uh, Stephen says, I'm fairly new to being saved and giving my life to Christ, but he talks about how he's been growing, and praise the Lord. Stephen says, I've led a few people to Christ, and I've seen God answer many prayers. I can say God is so magnificent, and Stephen has some Bible questions that we're going to get to and uh, eventually answer about you know, Matthew 24 and Psalm 119. Well, listen to this. He said, um, these are just a few of my questions. I love listening to Exploring the Word. Uh, you are helping me become a Christian warrior, a warrior for Christ. Stephen, God bless you. And for all the, the people listening across America, many of whom are behind bars, uh, we love each and every one of you. And the fact that you listen as we together, Bert, see, Bert and I, we're students of the, the Word as well, and we're Amen. learning together, but it means the world to us, and we thank God for each and every one of you. It is a lifelong journey with Christ, learning as you go, and uh, that's what we're a part of, and we hope that it blesses you. But also, I, I just felt like a good good song, uh, Easter coming up, a lot of uh, Christmas programs come up during Christmas, but at Easter, there's so much. It's victorious, and uh, they used to call them cantat- cantatas. I don't know if they still call them that or not, but uh, there are so many. But there's some great songs, and one of those songs is by David Phelps. It's in End of the Beginning. I want you to listen mm. and worship. It's, it's about four and a half minutes long, so it's going to be a while. But when we come back, we're going to be ready to get into the last week of Jesus' life. But let this song introduce this week. I was taking a trip on a plane the other day Just to wishing that I could get out When the man next to me saw the book in my hand And asked me what it was about So I settled back in my seat A bestseller, I said A history and mystery in one and Then I opened up the book and began to read From Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God and the Word He was born of a virgin one holy night In the little town of Bethlehem around him underneath the stars singing praises to the great I am he walked on the water healed the lame and made the blind to see again and for the first time here on earth we learned that God could be a friend and though he never ever did a single thing wrong the angry crowd chose him and then he walked on the road and died on the cross and that was the end of the beginning It's shame and guilt, and I don't need it anymore. It's superstition, made up tales, and just to help the weak to survive. Let 
Amen. I hope you enjoyed wow. that as much as I did. Praise the Lord. Alex, he arose. He arose a victor over the dark domain, did he not? He really did. He really did. You might have heard the old phrase, the past is prologue. Well, that's true, the end of the beginning. Because, you know, when Jesus died, was laid in the tomb, you know, Satan and the demons might have thought, oh my goodness, it's over. We've done it. We've killed the Messiah. No. And he rose. And do you know what? Even as important as that is, he rose. And now for the last 2,000 years, we have been in what is really known as the church age. Peter preached at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell. And the gospel has been taken to the very ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. But do you know what? There's coming a day when all things will be made new. And just as Christ's first coming was right on schedule, his second coming, his return, 
will happen just as God has sovereignly planned. And Burke, you know, I, I, I love history. I mean, I've studied history. I've taught various periods of history. I've taught constitutional history. But all of this is going to be forgotten. And I, my heart is heavy for the people that tie everything to this world. You know, fame and fortune and celebrity and just the things of this life. Because Bert, when that new heaven and new earth is ushered in, um, all of the last 6,000 years of human history is really going to be forgotten, isn't it? It is. Jesus, uh, he is the centerpiece of history. It, history is his story, and the future is in his hands. And uh, speaking of another song, Midnight Cry, uh, oh, yeah. Jesus is just waiting for the Father to say, go get your children, and he'll be ready. The question is, will we be ready? And he was ready when he went to the cross. And we're going to look at this and see how even in the last days, uh, Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. And when he was in the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what a victory that was. I always heard, Alex, that the victory was won before Jesus went to the cross in the garden when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And, yes. and that is so true. That, and that's got to be carried forth. But that reminded me about Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart before it ever started that he would not defile his body. He was going to stay on track with God. So that's what we want you to do. That's what Alex and I are doing. We're staying with God. We want you to stay with God as we approach Easter Sunday morning. Alex, it's going to be a great time when we study this last week of Jesus' life, isn't it? Yes, and we're going to talk about every single day, and especially, of course, Thursday and Friday. You are listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. Bert and Alex here. Stay with us as we go through the events of Easter week. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Sean Benge, Deputy Director of Operations for the National Park Service. His office manages all national parks and national monuments in this country. John 1.3 reminds us that everything on earth is God's creation. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God. We ask for guidance for Sean Bench as he helps manage our national parks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. If you've been waiting for some heavenly help with your earthly problems, Dr. Tony Evans says that those heavenly helpers may be waiting on you. He explains why as we spend two minutes with Tony. You were created lower than the angels, but when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you put on platform shoes. You were no longer lower than the angels because guess what? The angels now are looking to the church in order to understand the manifold wisdom of God. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12 says that the angels study the church. Your angels won't move on your behalf until they see the move you make because they have to make sure now that they're under your authority because you've been raised above all principles. 
principalities and powers and rulers, the angels now must listen to you. They can't budge because they're now under your charge waiting for you to act toward God. When they see the church act toward God, and that is consistent with the kingdom of God, that means God can then set them free to act on our behalf. Many of us don't get angelic help because we don't understand that the angels are waiting on us to respond to God. You are above the angels now. Learn more about how to protect yourself and your family in Dr. Evans' book, Victory in Spiritual Warfare. It'll show you how to live in the spiritual victory Christ died to give you, even if you're dealing with chemical, sexual, emotional, or relational strongholds. Get a copy for yourself and order the DVD-based Bible study version for your church. Details on victory and spiritual warfare are waiting for you online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 45, he said, The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And he found his disciples asleep, and he was praying, and he said, uh, Could you not tarry one hour? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Burt Harper here on the American Family Radio Network. You know, this is the week that we commemorate Easter, very often called Passion Week, because of the suffering. The word passion means suffering. And, and Burt, you know, uh, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, a lot, a lot went on in the life of Christ. And uh, traditionally, and, and I believe it's true, that the Garden of Gethsemane would have happened after dark, late on Thursday night. But let's, let's kind of go over the chronology of some of the things in the final week of Christ's ministry leading up to Calvary, where the sins of the world were paid. Let's, let's kind of go through that. You want to? Yes, let's do. And we'll begin with the entry into Jerusalem and riding on a donkey. And again, that's Sunday, and it's covered in all four Gospels. Now, let's m- let you understand, we have what is called the Synoptic Gospels, synonym, same thing, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and they basically cover the, the ministries. Now, some have certain details and certain uh, events that the other one doesn't have, but they're covered in the same area, whereas John, he covers mainly the Judean ministry of Christ. In other words, The last part of John took place the last part week in different times, and so, but all four cover that triumphant entry, Alex. They they really do. They really do. And I want to say this, and this is from one of my professors that I had in seminary, Dr. Harold Wilmington. He's uh, gone to heaven about a year and a half ago, but if you ever get a chance to see one of his books, like Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, or uh, Wilmington's Book of Bible Knowledge, or 
Israel at 40, or The King is Coming. Dr. Harold Wilmington wrote a lot of really, really great books, and he was there at Liberty University from the founding. But he says this, now think about this, folks. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got 89 chapters total. So 89 chapters that tell us of the life of Jesus. Only four chapters in all of the, the Gospels uh, tell us the first 30 years of his life. Now, we know the birth in Bethlehem, and at 12 years old in the temple, he read the scriptures, and it says every eye was fastened on him. And then uh, people have often speculated, well, what happened from age 12 to age 30? Uh, well, do you know the Bible doesn't really say, but think about this. 17 chapters describe the last nine days or so of Jesus' life. Now, four chapters in all those Gospels, four chapters tell us of the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 17 tell us of the last week of Jesus' life. Wilmington said, therefore, the last week of Jesus' life was really four times more important than the 30 years that had preceded that. Now, it's all important. It's all the Son of God. But why? Because he came to die. In John 17, he said, I finished the work the Father has given me to do. And that work was the subject matter of this week, wasn't it, Bert? To suffer, die, pay for sin, atone for the guilt of humanity, rise again. I mean, that was, that was really the, the essential core of his whole incarnation. Alex, when you talk about that, we talk about the purpose we have. We were, our purpose is to be saved and to glorify God forever. That is our purpose is humanity, and God desires that. Jesus' purpose for coming was to be that supreme sacrifice that was needed. Now, when I say that supreme, it means perfect. He is without sin, without spot, nothing wrong, and he fulfilled that. Now, you're talking about that 12 years to 30 years. Uh, mm -hmm. The Bible just says he was subject unto his parents uh, after the 12-year-old, you know, and so mm -hmm. he was the carpenter's son. There's no doubt he learned that. There's so many things that he did that we don't know, but we know he was there growing, and it says he grew in, in favor with God and with man. So he was, he was getting ready. I heard, uh, I don't know the first person I heard, most pastors today and ministers they spend three years getting ready for a 30-year uh, ministry. Jesus right. spent 30 years getting ready for a three-year ministry. Mm. And, wow, and so, that's powerful. So what we need to do and what we do here on this triumphant entry, he was declaring, you know, he would tell them, uh, don't, he, my time has not yet come. Don't go and tell them. Keep silent about what I've just done. Now, it wasn't because it wasn't. Uh, that they were not to tell, but they were not to tell now. You know, that's the whole yeah. idea, not now. But at the triumphant entry, it was an annunciation. He didn't come on the horse. He come out, came on the donkey. Zechariah, he fulfilled that. But the question was, and I love this, and I've got several sermons on it to believe, I believe, who is this? When he came in, that was the question. Who is yes. this? And they knew it was somebody, and they were singing Hosanna, uh, King David, and they were praising. So the Sunday was the annunciation. Jesus was saying, uh, you know, he came in fullness of time, and he said, now's the time, and he was getting ready for this last week. Well, you know, nearly 100 years ago, there was a bit of verse written 
called One Solitary Life. I won't read the whole thing. It can be somewhat lengthy, but there's this line in there. It says, 19 centuries have come and gone. Now we would say 20 centuries. Uh, Jesus is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, none of them have affected the life of mankind on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Mm. And, and you know, think about it, uh, three years, you know, from the calling of the disciples and the public, you know, annunciation of his ministry to the arrest, betrayal, beating, crucifixion, 36 months. And yet, as uh, one writer said, you know, the, the hinge of history swings on the life of Jesus. Amen. I mean, that, that in itself is significant because, uh, I mean, there have been kings, there have been famous, powerful people. In three years, Jesus changed the world. Now, Josh McDowell would say, what happened that turned the world upside down? It was the resurrection. Right. You know, what could have been so powerful that the disciples, a frightened small band of followers of a rabbi, and they suddenly were boldly proclaiming, he's alive, you can be saved, they were willing to die. Sean McDowell wrote his PhD dissertation on how all of the early apostles, the from Saul of Tarsus to the apostle Peter to John, they were martyred, they were executed, and none, none recanted and said, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, no, don't kill me, it was a myth. No, none. Why were they willing to preach and die and, and give their life? Because it was true. It, it really happened. And Bert, you know what? The, like we often say there have been you know, influential people, powerful people, uh, but nobody, nobody but Jesus had the power to rise from the grave. Amen. He is the only one. And that's why we stake our life on it. Paul said, if this is not true, we're of men most miserable. He staked his life on it. And going through the book of Acts, you'll find that when he, the first sermon we have that Paul preached, he preached the resurrection. And later on, one of the last sermons he preached is before men, the resurrection. Uh, and it did not matter who is in front of Alex, whether it was those that were poor or the rich or whether it was the, the, the powerful, guess what? He did not change his message. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so Jesus comes in on that Sunday, that triumphant entry, and, mm -hmm. and he does this and announces. And Now, most folks think that what he would do, he, he could have stayed in Jerusalem. It doesn't cover that. But Bethany was so close by that most people think he would go back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem because Lazarus and Mary and Martha live there. But he comes in on Monday, and we find this in Matthew 21. You also find it in other places, too, in the Gospels. But it says, Jesus went into the temple, and he drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple. He overturned the table of the money changers and the seats. Uh, and he said, this is Matthew 21, verse 13. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, Alex, I, I think this is so important. We've already had him doing this one time. And again, it reminded me of Nehemiah. We've been studying mm -hmm. Nehemiah. 
Oh, oh he, yes. he cleaned it up, but he went away, and they messed it up And when again. he came back, yeah, and he had to clean house a second time, didn't he? He did. And here's Jesus doing this. Do you, uh, and you may not have a response quickly. I, I thought about it. Do you think this is important, getting ready for the cross? Now, I, I think it is, because you remember what happens on the cross? The temple yeah. veil was torn in two yeah. from top to bottom, you know? In other words, yeah. he said, this is my house. This is what it's about. It's not about commercialism. It's not about convenience. It is about God and your connection with him through prayer. Well, yeah, and, and you've got to remember, okay, all those, the, the, the work of the temple, where they would come and they would make sacrifices, all of those sacrifices were a temporary covering of sin, the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross, a permanent eradication of sin. And there was a very lucrative uh, cottage industry of selling, you know, doves and pigeons for sacrifice. People came from many miles away to go to the temple, and maybe they didn't bring a sacrifice all the way from home. But you know what? People were, for, for large margins of profit, selling diseased and blemished animals and it, it wasn't the appropriate kind of sacrifice. And so Jesus says, look, you know, people are being cheated, and religion had become a lucrative business. Now, he cleanses that temple, and already, I mean, already he's in the crosshairs of the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, isn't he? But I've got to believe this second cleansing of the temple there in Matthew 21, I mean, the, the die is cast. He is really setting himself at odds with the religious machinery of the day, wasn't he? He was, and again, this is his timing. He's in control. He's the one that is determining the times. Talks about the Scripture, how he determines the water, where it will go and where it will stop. He determined this timing, and now was the time for it to happen. And he uses this as an opportunity to expose and to show and it's the word confront. There is a time to confront, yeah. and he did. But he goes out and he curses the fig tree. Now, that's always found that interesting, that it would occur during this week, Alex. Well, yeah, and this has been called Jesus's saddest miracle. This is found in Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Uh, and he says, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those that I sent to you, how often would I have gathered you to myself, but you would not. I mean, there's a lot that we can, you know, derive from those words. But he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And the fig tree uh, wilts. And so many have said that the fig tree symbolizes Israel. And, um, you know, there's a Bible word called Ichabod. The glory has departed. Right. I mean, between the cleansing of the temple, the cursing of the fig tree, the tearing of the veil, uh, and I want to talk about that more in a minute, uh, but this is a departing of the glory, a departing of the presence of God, isn't it? It is, and again, he sets this up on Monday after the triumphant entry when they thought, oh boy, he's bringing, now get this into, into uh, uh, I would say, view, he comes in on Sunday thinking, man, they, man, he's finally declaring his messiahship. Uh, we're going to have this kingdom. We're going to do it. And all of a sudden, he cleanses the temple. He curses the fig tree. I got a feeling some of those that were close by said, this is not what I thought we were excited about last, yesterday when he came into town. 
But that yeah. happens. And then on Tuesday, uh, would you call it a day of confrontation, Alex? Would that be the oh, Western yeah. way? Yeah, well, I, I think so, absolutely. On Tuesday, he confronts the Pharisees. They they debate about his authority. They debate about you know paying tribute and paying taxes. And so it really is, hey, there's confrontation. There's really condemnation of the Pharisees. And uh, different non-Jews come and say, we would see Jesus. But Tuesday is also the day he preaches his final sermon. It is. The very famous Olivet Discourse, it, we call it, that deals with the end times. Tuesday and Thursday, from everything recorded in the Gospels, are the busiest days, aren't they? They are. And what's amazing about Tuesday, the confrontation with those that were against him, and then, as you said, at the end, the Mount, uh, Olivet Discourse is mm -hmm. him telling the, the disciples who were there about what will happen, helping them, strengthening them, preparing them. And, and so here it is a, you know, I think this talks about pastoring uh, and preaching the word, Alex. Uh, it, it grips me that way. I do want to preach truth, and sometimes that truth is confrontational, very confrontational. But at the same time, I want to prepare people for what they need to have and where they're going. And Jesus does that on Tuesday with the Pharisees, but then he brings his disciples and helps them and know what the truth of it is, of who he is and what he's going to do. Well, and, and let me say this, and uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, Bert and I, this is a very special edition of Exploring the Word. We're talking about the final days of Christ's ministry. Okay, um, very famously in Matthew 21, the Pharisees, you know, contend with him and say, by what authority do you do these things? All right, he, he expected them to have faith in him because they'd seen the miracles, they'd heard his words, and they didn't. I want to talk more about that, and then, of course, we're going to talk about Thursday and Friday. Stay tuned to Bert and Alex here on Exploring the Word this Passion Week as we talk about the final days of Christ's earthly ministry here before his resurrection. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. You can use this information right here. Tim Wildman discusses life's most important issues. So you could have a sea turtle alive out there right now that was here during the Civil War. It's like getting a university degree, kind of. Tell the world. <laughs> Here's What's the, the question. question How wide is the wingspan of the world's largest roach species? Listen to the Trivia Friday edition of Today's Issues, Friday mornings at 10 Central on American Family Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia Friday. Woo. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jack Phillips, owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, is back in court again. After earning unwanted fame after an unelected gaggle of authoritarians at the Colorado Civil Rights Commission embarked on a six-year bigoted crusade to wreck his business after he refused to design a specialty cake for a same-sex wedding in 2012. 
Now, a transgender activist has admitted targeting Phillips by requesting a cake celebrating transgenderism. Jack declined, and that activist filed a lawsuit against him. But they've picked on the wrong guy. Jack will not back down because he says the fight is worth it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Romans 8.13 says this, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Michelle and I once visited the Pacific Shore in Southern California. We sat on the beach and watched incredible surfers ride the biggest waves we've ever seen. It was thrilling to see, but sometimes even the best surfers would wipe out. None of them had enough strength to defeat the crash of the massive waves on their own. Even as believers, our best strength is still weakness. But God's Holy Spirit provides perfect strength that is so much better than our own. When we live by our own power, we will fail. But when we live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, He will keep us from wiping out spiritually. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. American Family Radio. shall see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That is Luke twenty-two sixty-nine. And one of these days, one of these days, the world will see the return of Christ victorious. His first coming, his resurrection, his ascension was right on God's timetable. His return will happen right on schedule as well. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert here. So glad you're listening. We're talking about the final... Uh, days of Christ's ministry here. Bert, you know, back in Matthew 21, Jesus had said, if you say to this mountain, you know, be thou removed, and you don't doubt in your heart all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And then he goes, and the Pharisees, you know, challenge him, by what authority do you do this? And, you know, when you and I talked through the book of Matthew, we talked about how it was really amazing how, without a blink, uh, Jesus kind of put them in checkmate because he said the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Now, here's my point. Jesus had just said, if you have faith and you know the true and living God, you could say to a mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would happen. Now, you think, wow, that would take a whole lot of faith. And if, if somebody had faith to trust God for something they couldn't see, why wouldn't they have faith to believe in Jesus who, at that point, they could see? I mean, the, the fulfillment of prophecy was right there in front of them. I mean, they had seen the miracles. They, I mean, it was undeniable. The blind 
had sight, the lame were walking. They knew, Bert, they had to know because they were intimately familiar with the scriptures. And Jesus fulfilled everything on the the punch list of what would constitute the Messiah. Alex, and they yet are, they didn't believe. They are willfully ignorant, willfully yeah. blind. Uh, they they pick and they choose. Guess what? Things haven't changed. Uh, people pick and choose what they want, and uh, that cannot be for a true follower of Jesus Christ. We take what He says, we obey Him. And here they were willfully ignorant. They were willfully blind. They chose to go their way. And, and Jesus knew that, and he was willing to confront them to expose them. So we've, we've talked about doing this so it would bring about uh, their anger, their full anger against him, that they would strike against him. That was talked about in the book of Genesis, Alex, a long mm-hmm. time ago when they would— uh, you know, wound his foot, but he'll wound the serpent's head. That's the whole idea here. So he confronts them in order to, to I, I would say, to, to expose them. And they're willfully exposed by denying everything. And they're, when's the snake the most dangerous? They said when it's trapped in a corner. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're feeling trapped into their corner because, as yeah. you said, they can't checkmate him. And so they're they're conf- going to do what they can do in order to get rid of him, they think. Well, in Matthew 23, I mean, he doesn't mince words at all, does he? I mean, he denounces <laughs> the scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them out. He does. He says, you know, you like to sit in Moses' seat. You like to be seen. You put heavy burdens on people that you yourselves don't even do. This is like nowadays the hypocrisy of... Well, you know, I think about the the socialist progressives, and and you know, I think about the people that want uh, the whole wide world to wear a mask, but they won't wear a mask. The the elites, and they are so concerned about uh, the environment, and yet they ride around in limousines and fly on jet airplanes. I mean, hypocrisy is nothing new. Jesus. In Matthew 23, 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You pay tithes, but you overlook the weightier matters of the law. And listen at 24, you are blind guides. Mm. You strain at a gnat, swallow a camel, you know, the blind leading the blind. So, so many things that we, you know, there's sayings we use. And then, of course, I had mentioned where he condemns and he, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem by the way, and I want to talk about the deity of Christ. People say, did Jesus really claim to be God incarnate? Don't miss Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that I sent to you. I mean, you think about this. Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all those prophets you love, Jesus was saying he was the one that sent those to Israel. I mean, that's Huge. Who sends the prophets? God did. Well, Jesus, in in identifying himself as the one who sent the prophets, well, he's calling himself God. Now, Bert, Wednesday is often called a day of silence. That may have been the day that Judas slipped away to consort with uh, the selling out of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That is the possibility. That's one of those that we look at and we say, when could have this happened? And this is a probable time, not certainty, but probable. 
But I, I notice when this comes, this comes after two very busy days. The, the cleansing of the temple, all the exertion he was, he was there in front of them. The cursing of the fig tree, and especially Tuesday. And then what's going to happen on Thursday, we're about to get to that. And then, of course, Friday. Now, Alex, the day of silence, we could say it's a day of silence. I, I firmly believe it was a day of rest for him, uh, mm. possibly back at Bethany, because uh, Jesus was, was physically tired. You remember that time when he was in the boat and he was asleep and the storm was? He talked about being tired that day, you know? And so here is a day when he, let me just say, is resting up for what he knows is about to happen. He's in charge of the timing. They think they are, but no, Jesus is. So this day of silence, a day of rest, is getting ready for two very, very busy, difficult, hard days. Well, that's true. That's true. And, you know, he in Mark 14, uh, this is Thursday, the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, literally, his disciples said to him, where will you... Uh, where would you have us that we could go and prepare that you make the Passover with us? I mean, you think about this. Uh, the Passover was the commemoration of the deliverance from Egypt, obviously, and the blood on the doorpost of the house, and the death angel would pass over. And just, you know, less than 24 hours later, he would be the Passover lamb. Isn't that something? It is a beautiful example. I and. And again, when you read that and see that, it blesses you. And you can go back and read that in Exodus chapter 12, and you see that, and it brings you into the reality of what they were celebrating in Jesus becoming that Passover lamb. Mm -hmm. Thursday is a busy day. There's the preparation for the Passover, and then, of course, famously, the upper room. Now, Bert, like myself as a minister, no doubt you have led in communion Many times, I would imagine. I, I, I know I have. Yes. And I, I want to tell you, it is always very, very solemn uh, to lead in communion. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, you know, uh, verse 23, uh, Paul is writing here, and he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. By the way, it's a very similar wording to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, where Paul is talking about the resurrection. But he says, I... I I'm preaching to you that which I received, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it and given thanks, he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, it's amazing. You know, we're, we think of the Gospels, but I love to refer back to that 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, because these are the events of the upper room, aren't they? They are. And what took place there, you have the washing of the feet. That is always... Yes a gripping sight that that he would wash the feet uh, of Judas and he had washed the feet of Peter, uh, one going to deny him, the other going to betray him. But let me say this, this is so important. In the Gospel of John, you have chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 
all taking place here. And these are the words and events in that life that Jesus is there in the upper room on the way to Gethsemane, walking on the way, and then possibly in the Gethsemane when he makes the high priestly prayer, which is John 17. I found that amazing that John would pour in. It's like he, he just... He focuses in on this time. Now, who is it? It's John. It's the one that they say whom Jesus loved. It's the one that would lean next on his shoulder and and ask him, who is it that's going to betray you? This is John. And Alex, I just find that gripping that John would have all this detail of his words. Yes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but don't leave the man part out of it, the, the feeling and, and and all the joy and the difficulty he had in recording this. Well, you know, so often Luke, the physician, is pointed out as the one who is heavy on details. And I mean, you read Luke and Acts, and it is really heavy on minutia. And that's part of what has convinced many a skeptic, because all the details of Luke and Acts are so specific and so documented. But uh, the Apostle John, he gets down to details, doesn't he? He really does. And, Hey, let me read something here, and I I would encourage you to read in uh, Luke 23, Luke 23, 13 and following, but I'm going to read it from Matthew. Um, This is so sad. You know, Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said, let him be crucified. And, And remember, Pilate had said, you know, I find no fault in him. What should I do? And they said, release Barnabas. Okay. Barabbas. And uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, Barabbas. Thank you so much. But they asked in verse 23 of Matthew 27, why? What evil has Jesus done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather a tumult was happening, in other words, a riot is brewing He took water, everybody's watching, he washed his hands, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. And they all answered and said, Matthew 27, 25, it it breaks my heart to even read this, his blood be on us and our children. Oh my God, help the world turn to Jesus. Amen, Alex. Now, what happens right before that? Let's get this and try. This is, I, I, I you know, I, I'm big on chronological, and that's the reason you, when you suggested this, I said, way to go, Alex. But he was arrested probably Thursday night, late, late mm-hmm. Thursday yeah. night, possibly before midnight. So when you come to Friday, we find Jesus getting no sleep. That's another reason why I think he rested here, because he was praying. He sweat as blood, uh, as sweats of blood uh, from him, so Physically, he was already drained, but he, he's arrested at night, and he has three Jewish trials and three Roman trials, six trials altogether. All of them are illegal. Every one of them you'll find wrong with them. He was first arrested and brought to Annas, the, the, high, the former high priest, and then he was, he was taken to, to Caiaphas and then the Sanhedrin. All of that was probably taking place uh, at least two of them before daylight, Alex, and then they sent him to Pilate after they and his, his crime of before the Jews was blasphemy, claiming to be God. But that wasn't a charge that they could take to the Roman, uh, so they had to they had to figure one up, lie about it, and they brought the one to to the Romans saying he says he's king, you know, which would be treason. 
And so, Alex, everything they did on that Friday concerning the trials were illegal. But Jesus, as you said it, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's uh, doing this work, isn't he? Well, he is. He is. And, you know, he goes before the high priest. Uh, one of the most interesting is in, in Mark chapter 14. But through it all, you know, it's like a ping pong. They don't want to have to Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, uh, and then back to Pilate again. They don't want to have to deal with him, really, you know. And there are even people now that really don't want to deal with the Jesus issue. Well, maybe he was, he was a good teacher. Well, uh, he said he was the Son of God, and we should commit our lives to him. And if, if you're going to say he was a, a wise man or a great teacher or a, or a moral example, then the question is, well, are you going to follow him, and are you going to do what he said? And he said, turn to me and be saved. Uh, we're going to talk tomorrow about the resurrection. Again, we hope Sunday you'll be in church to praise him and and uh, commemorate that, and not only know about it, but have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. He did this for you. You know, we could talk on and on, but I want to say this to everybody listening, Bert. Jesus loves you, no matter what you've done or what you feel like uh, you're guilty of. Look, the Bible says Christ receives sinners. We're all sinners. But you turn to Jesus, and you, you'll be saved. And that can happen today, right now, where, wherever you are. We often say this, but it's true. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Amen. And there's a number that you can call. They'll be there. 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. Or chat about Jesus. You can go online and do that. And I want to tell you, the greatest thing that could happen to you this Easter season is coming into a real living relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is Jesus Christ, who has paid it all. Now all you have to do is come to him in repentance and faith, asking him for his forgiveness, and then surrendering your life to him and forever. Alex, have a happy Easter. And you too, brother. Happy Easter. God bless every one of you. Thanks for listening to the American Family Radio Network. What an exciting reality that Christ is risen, and that matters to each and every life. Tell somebody about the risen Jesus. Jesus.